0: Uh, Take your Bibles to the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 1 through 3. I always pray and ask God what he wants me to do, and I take it real serious. Um, It's interesting how God puts two messages together on the same day. Uh, I, I would love to claim sometimes the credit for some of those things, the way they fit together, but I cannot. In fact, I don't even think about the two together till. Later, uh, after they're already planned and ready to go, I'll think about them, put them together, and i think, oh, those are going to go together well. Our brother, the, tonight, I did not know what he was going to start out the service with. Send the light. But that's what this message is going to be about. <laughs> Again, the Holy Spirit. I've seen that hundreds of times. How God moves on the song leader to do a song which happens to be their own thing. We don't actually call it we probably should, you know, be organized to call each other, but we, we, don't. we don't. We don't call each other and say, what are you going to do? I don't ask him what he's going to wear. But um, Nehemiah, man, Nehemiah. The history of Nehemiah. Wow. Chapter 9 of Nehemiah may be one of the finest historical reviews of the children of Israel in the whole Old Testament. It probably is. I'm just going to stick my neck out. Pastor Lysel says it's the finest historical review of the history of the children of Israel in the Old Testament. You can go and read chapter 9 of Nehemiah and pretty well figure out what happened. Where? What happened? What happened to them? By the time Nehemiah comes around, of course, these people have been in captivity. They were Jeremiah prophesied seventy years of captivity. One year for every year they didn't obey God and leaving the land. They follow. I wouldn't. It's a. Don't misjudge, One thing don't do. Don't misjudge God. Uh, don't think he's forgotten about something he's asked you to do just because you haven't gotten whooped for not doing it, or or maybe you haven't heard from him because but you didn't do it and you 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 may count his silence as he's just ignored it and let it go. Man, I'm telling you, that's just not the God of the Bible. If you learn anything about God on the 70-year captivity, you learn he's a great accountant. And a good accountant always watches their pennies, not their dollars. If if you watch your pennies, you don't have to worry about your dollars. That's what I learned in two years of of college accounting. But if you watch your pennies, you don't have to worry about your dollars. And when we did those practice sets, we had to come up, balance them to the penny, to whatever, however um, many hundred hours trying to find that one cent you were off. But you better find that cent or you got an F. If that thing didn't balance, it was an F. There wasn't no A, B, C. It was an F. And you put it 40, 50 hours worth of work on a practice set, cash in, cash out, or whatever. brother's there's account right here. And they made you come up to the penny. That's the accuracy demanded by that. But I'm going to tell you, our God's a God of accuracy. He's a God that remembers. He doesn't ask us to do something superfluously. He wants us to do it. He told the children of Israel, out of every seven years, let the land lay. And they didn't do it. They figured, you know, no offense meant to Jews, okay? But, you know, Jews always say the Gentiles were made so somebody would buy retail. But, I've just told that one too many times. But, but you know, I mean, uh, Jews are kind of, you know, they, they, they squeeze them pennies together. I mean, that's a typical reputation of Jew. Not all of them are probably this way. But as a nation, they're pretty tight with the, with the funds, you know. They're pretty hard negotiators. And and money is big with them. And so that's a reputation worldwide, worldwide. And so uh, they didn't want to waste the whole year. Man, We got a whole year of productivity, good weather, let's plant. Hey, God won't hold us on this. He said, for every year you didn't do what I told you, you're going to spend a year in captivity and somebody else is going to have your land. Now, brother, that don't get any harder than that. It don't get harder. You're taken out of your land. You're a slave and all your labor goes to the benefit of somebody that is that owns you. Your land, which was your land, I gave it to you, now is going to be owned by them. And any profit out of that land is going to go to them. Because you didn't do what I ask you to do. My my brothers and sisters in Christ, let's obey God. Let's take him seriously. And let me say, now how many years? 490 years went by before he enforced that. How many generations is that? I didn't do the math on that. But generation being 40 years, divide that by 40. That's how many generations. A typical generation, 40 years. So that's how many generations are in 490 years. That's a whole lot of time going by, man. The people that paid for it were not the people who really sowed it. The people who sowed the disobedience were not the people who paid for it. And remember, what you do in your life oftentimes will going to trickle down to your children and to your grandchildren and to your children's children's children because that's just the way God does stuff. And so if the best thing you can do for your kids, your grandkids, your great-grandkids, your great-great-grandkids, which you're never going to see most of them, most, most people don't even see their great-grandchildren. You don't see your great-great-grandchildren, but rarely. You're gone. Uh, but it'll bless them, and you'll do things for them you won't even believe, not by leaving them a bunch of money, not by leaving them property or or, or leaving them your guns. Though that's not a bad thing. But it's going to be like by sowing righteousness, And doing the right thing, obeying God. And God says, I love that, and I'm going to bless to the thousandth generation, them that love me. The thousandth generation that love me. Wow. But I'll curse them to the third and fourth generation, of them that hate me. And so that's just where God's at. The same God of the Old Testament got the New Testament. Well, anyways, Nehemiah, they had been in captivity. God let them go back and rebuild the walls. They rebuilt the temple. Not much. It was a little small little thing, but it was humble, but it was a temple. They could reinstitute the sacrifices under Ezra. Under Nehemiah, they went back to rebuild the wall. They go back to rebuild the wall. It's absolutely supernatural, just like Trump getting elected. I hope you understand in 2017 you witnessed an outright miracle similar to the crossing of the Red Sea on dry ground. I am serious as I know how to be to you tonight. You didn't vote for Trump? I'm sorry. But I can tell you this, that Trump getting in was against everything, everything that was predicted. I mean, there was 116 polls, 112 of them said he absolutely didn't. They said he did 92%, 98%, 98% chance of losing. I go back once in a while and just watch election night, because I just want to see their faces when they go, this can't be. It's apocalypse. The end of the world as we know it. And I'm going, amen, 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 amen. The end of your world. The end of your wicked, vile, transgender world. Woo. God did a miracle. Man, he did a miracle for us. Woo, he did a miracle for us. These people right here understood he had done a miracle for them. They were back in the land. They were slaves in Babylon. They had no rights. They had no, no rights, no value, and yet God moved on to the very King Cyrus and said, send them back and finance them. And by the way, all those vessels you took out of the temple, go ahead and give them give their solid gold. Give them back to them and let them go. People don't do that. Government doesn't lower taxes. They only know one direction. And these people, man, they were standing in front of mason of miracle, and, and the seventh chapter reads the word of God, always in it starts with the word of God. They read the word of God. People were interested. They came. They listened. Revival breaks out. People begin to do what happened in verse 1 here, looking in Nehemiah 9, only three verses. Now on the twenty-fourth day of this month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting and with sackcloth and earth upon them. And the seed of Israel separated themselves from all strangers and stood and... Con- Look what they did. They confessed their sins and iniquities of their fathers. Of their fathers. Many of their fathers were dead. But remember, it was their fathers that got them into the situation. It was their fathers they got them where they were. Uh, in most, in most, uh, 490 years worth of disobedience being paid for by this generation. Two generations alive at the same time, maybe three. And so, wow. And they stood up in, the, in their place and read in the book of the law of the Lord, their God, one fourth part of the day. And another fourth part, they can, conf- look what they did there. They confessed. Notice in verse 2, they confessed their sins. In verse 3, they confessed and worshipped the Lord their God. I've tried to get my hands on every book that is published on revival. Historically, I've tried to read about every revival that's been recorded. uh, In different parts of the world, there's an African revival that that prompted the uh, writing of the Calvary Road in 1950. Uh, There was a Wales revival. There was a revival around a sermon called Sinners, Hands, and Angry God by Jonathan Edwards in the 1700s in America. There was a revival in the 70s, started in Canada, worked its way down. There was was two twins who were evangelists, and there was a revival. Fire came out of that and went down to America, and most of you old people know that there was a lot of souls saved in the 70s. I can tell you, people were hungry. I got on a picnic table on Fort Myers Beach. Fort Myers Beach in 1971. And I gave my testimony how I was saved and how I lived for God. And 2,500 bikini-clad college students gathered around us and were quiet and listened. Tell me there wasn't revival. Tell me something didn't happen. After we got done and stepped down, 12 young people. Dressed in our bathing suits, came up to us and asked us how to be saved. We told them how to be saved. I was amazed. I was amazed, just like everybody else. Wow! And and we passed tracks out that for that one year in 1971, I passed tracks out, uh, and we had over a dozen people. We would have. I didn't have. We had our name on the track with our personal address and phone number. They sent us over 12 of those. Were sent back to us. And if you, if, you, if you prayed the sinner's prayer and asked Jesus to save you, signed it, dated it, and then they sent it back to us to over 12 people, asked Jesus to save. You tell me that isn't a revival. It's the seeds of revival, it's the breath of revival. People were, the altars in most churches in the 70s were full when they had invitation, preach time, invitation time, altars be full. People were tender, they were sensitive, their hearts would easily be broken over the preaching of the Bible. They weren't self-defending, protecting. They became transparent, and for the many cases, as I remember it going through, in this place, they, they were the same way. They confessed their sins. Wherever you find revival, you'll find confession. You find, let me just word it another way, you'll find transparency. You will not find God Without transparency, individual transparency. Why? Because broken people are who God comes to. Who are broken people? People without rights. Who are people without rights? They're people that are open. Who are open people? Those are folks that are transparent. They don't care what you think of them, and they don't care if you take what you know about them and and go have uh, uh, ten women get together and just chew them up. As if they were deserved. They don't even care. Because they've already gone to God with it and they've become public with it and they don't, you can't hurt them. Because you cannot hurt a dead person. You you ever been to a funeral? You go up there and you go, well, my wife dies if she dies ahead of me. I'm going to get, my wife's been on, we've had a little row going for for, uh, 47 years, going to be 48 here in January. And it's those uh, stainless steel bowls. We got four of them. still got them. We had them in Brandon. And I say row. It's not real. There's no maliciousness in it. But if she dies ahead of me, I'm burying her with one of them stainless steel bowls. And she's going to hold on. to. I, I know I know she counted pretty well. So I'm going to tell her, put your, put your hands on them bowls like that because they get rigor mortis. They get stiff. They, put sure they get on them bowl because that's the kind of death grip she's got on them bowls. And put that bowl on her belly and I'll fill it with mints and people can just take a mint <laughs> and take the wrapper off of it just throw it in the casket. Throw the thing in the casket. It's fine. I'm bearing her in two day-glo socks of different colors. But you're not going to see that. <sighs> There's no bitterness here. There's no bitterness. If you believe that. Uh. I'm just kidding. I'm just lightening in the moment. But I tell you, everybody, almost everybody wants freedom and freedom is revival. Freedom is brokenness. You're free. You're free. I don't care what you know about me. I really don't. I mean, I care about you. And I care that I don't hurt you. But as far as my flaws go, I've confessed everything from this pulpit that I've done and some of the stuff my wife's done. And like I just did. And and I just want to be that way because I want God in His fullness no matter what. I want the Holy Spirit to be comfortable around me. I don't want him to come around me and be, ooh, ooh, that's distasteful. Ooh, that's a, ooh, ooh, that bothers me. It, uh, once in a while we have somebody come in off the street and, you know, they've slept outside, their, their shoes have gotten wet and dried and wet and dried and wet and dried and wet and dried t- t- tennis shoes, and they wear them without socks. You know what happens, don't you? Roadkill smells better. And when they walk in here, they want to blend in, but they ain't going to blend in. You know, they sit beside you and you're like, you're out to the next second. And I've seen it happen over and and don't feel too bad about that because it's hard to, it's hard to handle. It's hard to handle. That's the way we are when we got sin in our lives. We try we ask God to come see it. Set beside it. He didn't go sit beside you. He gonna sit beside you. He's repelled by it. But when you have real revival, you smell good to God. There's a sweet savor, the Bible says, that goes up from us. A, a, a smell of, of like, a, like the subtleness of a, of a deeply red rose. Ooh, that's got a good smell to it. You have freedom. Freedom of movement, freedom of decision making, freedom of opinion, freedom of speech, freedom of pain. And maybe more than anything, and what I want to talk about tonight is freedom of conscience. Revival allows you to get lots of freedom. It gives you freedom of one of the most big things. That Let me tell you, if you're struggling in life, not with the normal problems that everybody has. We get sick. We have people not pay us. We have people rip us off. I mean, that's just normal stuff. But how do you handle all that is not normal. Now, people are going to do you dirty. They're going to stab you in the back. They're going to talk about you. I can just guarantee you that's going to happen. Don't be surprised by it. It's how you react to those things. Born again Christian, you can be broken and contrite and walk with God, and you're impervious to all of that. You cannot be harmed by what people say, what people think, what people want to do. It they, they you 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 can't be hurt by it. You're 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 laughing when 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 other people would be crying, because you're walking with God. Walking with God is a minute by minute, day by day thing. Freedom of conscience must come to walk with God. Only in and through Christ can one gain true freedom of conscience. Only only through Christ. Um. The devil. How does the devil strip you of your freedom through sin? It's not a. It's not real super complicated. He strips. It, he strips you. You strip yourself because you're you go along with it, right? But when you do that, and you realize you've gone along with him, your flesh, the world, the devil, and you you violated God in some way. How do you know that? The Holy Spirit will go. Mm. It's kind of a. Mm. It's like when you get a muscle cramp at two in the morning. How do you know it? My wife wants to, I'll be sleeping like a baby. I sleep light, but I sleep like a baby there. And my wife will go, oh, 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 jump out of bed, throw the covers off. Ha, oh, ha, oh. stand on her. You get a cramp in your calf here, the best way to do it is stand on it. But boy, if you don't stand on it, your toes will do this. Or they'll go, the worst, they go this way. When the toes go back, oh brother, and it ripped the muscle, rip, it'll just literally rip the muscle, and you want you got to die to get better. How do you know when you violated God? Oh, uh, oh, uh. your spirit twists within you. You lose your clear conscience you lose that peace that passes all understanding that the God of peace wants to give you. You become irritable. I'm a pro at this. That is being irritable. Satan's a dirty fighter. He is such a dirty fighter. If you've committed something, he'll get you to commit something which would be considered a public sin or known by other folks. And he'll get you to try to privately confess it and get over it. And you can't do that. Public sin, public confession, private sin, private confession. That's the way it works in the Bible. You say, ah! I would be! When we were having revival, we had a little period of, of, of refreshing here to gospel in the 90s, late 90s. And as a pastor, well, I knew we had a period of refreshing. Why? I knew, how I knew God had come and... and because we had people come to my office and saying, Preacher, I've got to get something said. i got to get it off my conscience. I just got to get this off my conscience. I have struggled with this thing. Some of these people struggle with this stuff for 10, 12, 15 years. And they'd say, Preacher, I just got to get it off my conscience. Would you let me get in front of the folks and just tell them what I, what I need to tell them? In one year, we had five women that had been sexually abused when they were young. Nobody knew it, but the one who abused them and God. And they'd held bitterness for that abuser. Remember how do you react to it? Remember, it's how you react. They held bitterness for the abuser. And it affected and it offended the Holy Spirit. And why had it offended the Holy Spirit? Because he's forgiven you. As much or more than what you won't forgive them. Forgive me my trespasses, as I forgive those who trespass against me. I pray that every day. And sometimes I pray it with a little bit of a lump right here, because I kind of want to see them. There's been times I couldn't do it. I said, "Lord, I'm not. God. I don't want to forgive them. I want to brood on this a little." So he said, okay, you want to be miserable a couple more weeks? Go ahead. A couple more weeks I come back and say, okay, Lord, I think I'm ready to give it up. Ready to give it up. I forgive him. He goes, "No, nah. no, that's fake. And you're going to, well, you want to brood on him a couple more weeks, right? Oh, yeah, that'll hurt him. That'll hurt him. I'm going to be miserable for two more weeks. That'll get back at him. Um, I'm gonna cut my communication off with God that I so desperately need. Hmm, that'll work. Yeah, that works alright. I start getting irritable with my employees. I start getting irritable with my wife. I start getting irritable with my family, friends, the few friends I got left. And um I finally go to God and say, okay, okay, I forgive. I think I've felt what that mighty rushing wind is that came into the 120. It's like going outside in the morning right now. It's the brother Lloyd, the Canadian friend said that pure Canadian New Brunswick air has come down to us. I don't know, but I don't know how how true that is, but it must be so. I go outside and I just go outside in the morning right now, and I go, "This is what I want to feel in July." <laughs> you do that in July, you suck twenty mosquitoes in. Yeah, gonna do that. The folks here in, Neh- in Nehemiah, chapter 9, verse 1 through 3, they made public confession. The folks that came down to, to be baptized at John the Baptist made public confession. You go where you want to go, and you try to, you try to deny this all you want to deny. It's to your own demise that you cannot be right with God until you get clean with everybody. Horizontally and vertically, the first ten commandments are are vertical, getting clean with God. The the, six, the next six commandments are horizontal. God cares a lot about your horizontal relationships, your people, the people relationships, doesn't he? He gave six commands about them. Only four on your vertical relationship with Him. He said, if you don't love your brother who you see, you. Don't you tell me or anybody else you love God who you don't see. Don't do it. Quit it. Quit trying to play religion. Quit trying to play like you got spiritual uh, insight if if you don't love your brother. Oh. Yeah, but Lord, you don't know. Oh, yeah, you do know who they are. Don't worry, you're going to be able to go. People say, well, don't air your dirty laundry, Brother. That's pride. That smacks of pride. That whole statement smacks of pride. You can't read about a revival that people didn't get up and confess. They got up and confessed they had stolen things and nobody. They got up and confessed they had. Uh, we had a guy come up here one night and confess he burned his house down, and collect insurance money. That had been on that man's conscience for years. I think it was 20 years, yes. It was 20 years that was on that man's conscience. He needed some money. He burned his house down and collected the insurance money. Happens to be a felony, by the way. And so I looked at him and I go, ooh, clear conscience may cost you jail for this. But that's okay. Better to have a clear conscience in a prison than to have a defiled conscience at your house. By the way, he called the insurance company, and I have to give him credit, he called the insurance company and said, look, I burnt the house down on purpose, I collected the money 20 years ago, they said, it's water under the bridge, forget about it. God forgave him, he got a clear conscience on that issue, and he didn't have to go to jail. Wow. But even if he did go to jail, it'd be worth it. I don't want to live this life, this brief thing called life without being right with the living God. I'm not talking about being saved. I'm talking about being sanctified. I'm talking about my day by day walk. He walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I'm his own. I want to be able to sing that and mean it. These people... During Nehemiah's time, these Jews man, they had been hard-hearted man, their forefathers had just resisted every, every. he sent prophets rising up early and saying they resisted, they resisted they resisted. They finally get this in this shape here, they're allowed to go back, there, but they're a small little group, 40, less than 44,000 people, out of millions. And they're there and they'd had some trouble too, they had mingled with the heathen and Ezra and Nehemiah had to whoop on them and they confessed it and got right about it. John the Baptist wouldn't baptize the Pharisees because they wouldn't confess their sin because they didn't feel they had any sin. Or they felt like their sin was a private issue. You ever heard anybody tell you "Religion's private I don't talk about it? God forbid them poor souls. Religion is the most public thing in the world. What you believe about Jesus should be known. You should not, you should be an open book. Now, Private sin, private confession. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so you may uh you may be working, Brother Rochelle, you may be working tomorrow and you may uh, hit your finger and you, you may swear. I don't know if you're a swear or not, but you may swear. You're not your wife will swear then, maybe. I'm a, I, I'm a cusser from a long line of cussers. And I hate to tell you this because my mother's dead, bless her name, but she was the worst cusser. She cussed way more than my dad. I'm not demeaning her. If she was here, she'd say, oh, it's so, Billy, it's so. But she got right on those things. See, you can't hurt somebody. They got right with God. We got. Are you going to pretend you don't have faults? don't do it with me. Don't do it with me. I may not know, I may not be able to put my finger out, but trust me, if I was around you for a week, I'd see him. Well, anyways, in 1 John here, it says some sweet words. It says, uh, if we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, The profundity of that verse is beyond belief. It's just beyond belief. Let's go back. He says we walk in light. Okay, what is light? What does light do? It dispels darkness. Light always reveals. Darkness always hides. Read the book, uh, Calvary Road, page 37. You'll find that quote. Darkness always hides and light always reveals. So wherever God goes, there's revealing going on. There's confession going on. There's humbling going on. There's brokenness going on. Because when you get up and tell people you're bad in an area, or you're struggling with pornography, or you're struggling with swearing, or you're struggling with this, or you failed in this area, it is humbling. And guess what? God's attracted to the humble. And he's going to come visit you. And if you get up and hide, pretend you're not some, put on your Sunday face, you know, fight all the way to church when you get to church, smile, hold hands, walk down, hold hands like you like you actually like each other. If you're doing that, the Bible says God resists the proud. <clears throat> the word resist means to have hostility toward. God has hostility to man, I don't want God to have hostility toward me. The only way you're going to attract Him is by humility. Brokenness, openness, transparency, which equals humility. There it is right there. Wow. Take your Bibles to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. But before I I actually say anything about eight. Let me finish a little bit on this. We walk in the light as he is in the light. So if we go into the light, which reveals, and we walk in it, that doesn't mean you do it's a one-time hit and, and then you go back to the dark. You stay in the light. You walk in the light. You stay in it. Light reveals. It'll break you. You have fellowship with God, but you have fellowship one with another. You know where we, the secret to a church surviving. The way God wants us to survive. And that is with harmony among us. No hard feelings. No this, no no somebody sitting over here having grudges on somebody sitting over here. God forbid that happens. I don't want a pastor if that's going to happen. And stay that way. It may happen, but it can't last. I'm not going to pastor a church like that. That's suicide. If we have, if we walk in the light, of the light. We have fellowship one with another, right? That means we, that conditions us getting along. Because I'm transparent, I confess my sin. You say, well, you know, I got the same problem you got. And we shake each other's hands and say, well, we'll pray for each other and we'll Hold each other up. That unifies people. That harmonizes people. That that bonds. They say in war, under life and death situations, the two people they used to have two people per foxhole. At least in Vietnam was two people per foxhole. Those two people would have lifelong if they lived. They'd have lifelong bonds together because they they were at the point of death for each other. My dad was in the same situation, and that stress. And when you get right with God and, and you make things known that need to be known and, and ask God to forgive you and you cleanses you and washes you and fills you with the blessed Holy Spirit, you have unity with Him and you have unity with me and you have unity with you. You're not talking bad about other people because you're bad. You're not judging other people harshly. Why? Because that fickle finger of fate will go back to you. You'll get judged, amen? It's good to admit you've got an anger problem, brother Tom. One of my heroes, to be honest with you, and I don't like to compliment him too much, he may get puffed up, and backslide, and he'll be all over. But, but brother Tom had trouble with his fourth, with his third, third girl. The fourth girl's been pretty good. The third girl was a little rough. And brother Tom, can I tell this? He took her to a, a Sam Davison. And uh, it took the girl away. It was out of state. It was up somewhere up north and took her took her up there to get her help. So he goes to this meeting with this pastor and this pastor meets him. And pretty soon the pastor says, uh, Pastor puts the fickle finger of fate on Tom. Says, you the problem. Oh, no, wait a minute. I brought my daughter up here to get her fixed because you got this. And I'm, you know, I'm not telling probably the way it ought to be told, but if you want more about it, then call him. <laughs> but the bottom line was, the guy says, you... Got a problem, and that problem's translating to your daughter, and that's why she's bitter and all that. And I'm like, Tom's like, man, me? It isn't easy to see. It was anger. Anger problem. Anger will drive everybody away from you. Well, it's good to get out in front of a group of people and Tom wouldn't mind doing it and say, you know, I've got an anger problem and God's been helping me and I've got victory by the grace of God. The more you confess it, the more it's made known, the more you disarm the darkness, the more you disarm the power of darkness. What's the devil got on you? What skeletons in your closet Man, I just pull the skeletons out, man. Don't let them. I say, you you, you ain't getting me. I'm pulling them out. I'm pulling them out. I'm going to tell people about them. I got this skeleton, that skeleton. I had this problem and that problem. Pretty soon he's got nothing to fight with. God says, oh, I like that. Why? That's like my son. That's like my son. And if we... Look at there in verse 7. If we walk in light as He's in in light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. God will come in and cleanse you and give you everything that goes with that. Folks, this is a secret. Which is not a secret. Of how to have a victorious Christian life tonight. I don't want to limp my way through the Christian experience. And, and and, uh, and and man, I pray regularly, Lord Jesus, don't let me go through this. And then when I get old, I'm not there yet, but when I get old, look back and say, oh, I missed it. I missed it. I don't want to go back. I don't want to look back, Doc, and say, I missed it. When it's too late, to, it's too late. I started praying that in my teens. Don't let me miss it. Oh he'll answer your prayer. He'll answer you. He'll come to you. Think of the woman caught in adultery here in John 8. By the way if I may say this John 8 1-11 through 11 is not in many of the modern versions and if it is in there they diminish it with a note saying well this ain't found in the most ancient manuscripts Well, I beg to differ on that. That is a lie from hell. It is found in the family of the received text, which was used all the way up through the translation in 1611, and it's there. A the whole 11 verses they want to they wanted either diminish or, or to take away, but it's there. And the man, look at Leviticus. Take, okay, so keep, your, keep your finger there, and let's go to Leviticus, and I'm done. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10. Leviticus 20, again. you may not go there, I'll read it for you. And the man that committeth adultery with another man's wife, even he that committeth adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall be put to death. Okay? Put to death. But who? Both of them, right? Both of them? If there's, a, if there's an adultery situation, you got a man and a woman, they're to be put to death. That was Leviticus. That was God's law. Okay, Now, let's go fast forward to John chapter 8. The woman caught in adultery. I'm not going to go over every detail, but let me tell you, they caught her in the very act of adultery. Well, if they caught her in the very act of adultery, the man was there. The man was there. They knew who the man was. Where is the man? In this passage, verses one through eleven, when they bring her before him to condemn her, he says, "He that is without sin, cast the first stone." And he writes down in the ground something. Oh, I'd love to find out what that was. But the Bible says they were smitten. They were their their consciences were smitten from the oldest to the youngest. They they. uh, they knew that they were they were going to sacrifice the life of this woman just to try to catch him in his words, so that he would have somehow disobeyed the law of Moses, and they could they could uh, accuse him of being a breaker of the law and possibly kill him. Their motives were horrible, and they bring this woman uh, who was caught in the act, and according to the law of Moses, deserved to be stoned. But if she was stoned, the man needed to be there too. I wonder if he wrote in the dirt, where's the man? Where's the man? And they all looked at the dirt and go, they knew who he was. Bible said they all left. What a sweet, sweet moment when Jesus gets up and says, where's your accusers? They're gone. He says, neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. You can go on and on. Thing has no, there's so many places in scripture. Don't give up your conscience, your clear conscience. Well, if you don't have one, get it. But don't give it up once you get it. And if you give it up immediately, gain it back. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. That's private confession. That's things you do. That's the brother Rochelle uh, stumbles over something. His wife swears. And she's got to get right with God, really. Not not all of us. Brother, if you've committed adultery on your wife, it's public matter because there's another person. Obviously, in adultery, there's a third person. Probably that third person has told the fourth person, which has told the fifth person, which has told eight people, which hundred five, two hundred people know about it. You think, oh, nobody knows about it. If I was you, I'd get up in front of the group at Old Gospel Baptist and say, you know, I struggled and I committed adultery at such and such a time, and I want to be free. Wow! Ah, I want to be free. Or I've struggled with, you get up, maybe you get up and say, I've struggled with pornography for 20 years or 5 years or 2 years. But I want to be free. To the point I'll let you know. Public sin. Public. Private, don't do it. And you don't ever go into detail. No No gory details. Just what the Bible calls it. People come to me and say that in the 90s when we were having the wind of God here at the gospel, and we were these people were coming to me and saying, "Preacher, I want to be free. I want to be free." I'd say, "Well, hey, you're welcome to get up and tell the folks what, what what's going on." I'd, you know, and they they would. It would be simple, short, less than sometimes less than thirty seconds, and there was nobody at gospel would condemn them for. He that's without sin casts the first stone. Nobody gospel is gonna be casting those stones. I've been around you folks enough to know that you ain't no sinless group of people. I had one person come here one time I went and visit them on Thursday night and said, We'd like to I thank you for visiting Gospel Baptist. He says, Well, we don't feel like we fit in at gospel. The people there are just too perfect. After I got over the initial shock. I said, why do you say that? And he said, man, look on Sunday, they come in, they're all dressed up real nice, and they got their little families, you know, kid, everybody's smiling, shaking hands and being happy. I said, you don't know the people of gospel. They fight like cats and dogs. Half our church been released from prison. I was just talking about the women. (laughs) I said, oh, brother, please come. The only awkwardness you may feel is that you don't fit in with us. Because you're not as bad as probably most of us are. You never experienced some of the things we've horribly had to find out were wrong. And they said, wow. I, I I said, you keep coming. You keep coming. They did. Is there something the Holy Spirit's talking to you about tonight? Something holding back revival? We can't have revival at gospel without you. I want it. I'm willing to pay the price. But that won't bring it. You've got to bring it with me. You've got to be willing to be humble. You've got to be willing to be open. You have to be willing to be broken. There can be no secret sins going on. Oh, I say no. I mean, you know, within within God's judgment. But the secret sins will kill a church. Kill it. Just kill it. You know, you don't know I pray this stuff, but I've prayed for all these years. Lord, if there's any secret sins going on in the gospel, root them out. And you know, I'm a pastor. You pastors that are here, I don't want to lose members. I, it rips my heart out to see somebody leave Gospel Baptist. If they only knew how much pain it caused me. And that's some of the people I don't even like. But it still just rips my heart out. But I would rather have 50 people that love Jesus and were transparent with God than have, on Sunday morning, 3, 4, 500 show up They were hiding a bunch of wicked, vile things calling themselves pure when they weren't. Because it'll just be a dead service. And I don't want dead services. I want to see God. I hope you read some of those books I encourage you to read. I hope you do. I hope you get The Calvary Road and read it this year. I hope you get Pursuit of God. And read it this year. I hope you get the green letters and read it this year. I read it, read it before. Read it again. Read it again. You'll be glad you did. Father, help us. May the Spirit of the Living God come. I feel so inadequate in so many ways to preach this. I feel like Paul. I feel I feel like call myself the chief sinner. What am I doing? Father, Father God, you know my faults, man. You know them. You know me. You see me from afar off. Father, I just ask that you would help these folks in 2018 to be real with you. There'd be no faking until they make it. That they would become, they would go against their natural fleshly tendencies. That they would rip the flesh to shreds that they would rip the fears of the flesh and the anger of the flesh and the misgivings of the flesh to shreds through the power of the blessed Holy Spirit in the light of the gospel. Let us walk in the light as you were in the light. Help us, the Father, to see it. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website